Welcome to the Before Midnight podcast coming to you from the N Plus One studios overlooking beautiful downtown Frankfurt. In this podcast, we explore the world of age group triathletes. We'll be looking at the real world challenges of being an amateur multi-sport athlete. I'm your host, Linda Ward, along with my co-host, Brian Schenkenfelder. What's going on, Brian? Not much, man. Just traveling the beautiful bluegrass state for soccer and living life, man. Living La Vida Loca, right? Sweet. Something like that, at least. (laughs) So you traveled this weekend. I traveled this weekend. Where'd you go? I went to, where did I go? I went to South Carolina and North Carolina. I went to Kings Mountain. That was it. To the Mountaineer Rumble. Okay. What is that? That is a 50 mile, 50K, 100K, or 100 mile, your choice, ultra race. And I did not run because I'm not that crazy. <laughs> but uh, two good friends did. Uh, we went last year, and uh, so I was crewing for two people, one doing the 50K and one doing the 100K. That was challenging. It was interesting, because luckily I knew where I was <clears throat> since I'd been there last year, and there were six, eight, five aid stations, excuse me, five, <clears throat> plus the start line. And... Uh, the 50K just did one loop, 100K did two loops, 100 mile did two loops plus. They had, I think they had a seven mile out and back kind of thing that they had to do. So my 50K guy was slow, much, well, not real slow. He finished in eight and a half hours. Yeah. Hard trail. That's pretty, you know, not respectable. He was like middle of the pack. Um, the cutoff was like 10 hours. So eight and a half is, you know, he, he still had plenty of time to get lost. <laughs> <laughs> which was easy to do yeah <clears throat> and then the 100k guy um was much faster he ended up actually winning the event he did it in 11 hours and 58 minutes and 30 seconds something like that uh averaged uh i think it was like an 11 18 pace something like that for 62 miles oh my god so for me you know, they, luckily these guys are super organized and it's like, okay, here's my Ziploc bag for, and they're all labeled, you know, this is station one, this is aid station two, this is aid station whatever. I couldn't get to aid station two because it was on private property. So they had to have enough with them. And there was stuff at all the aid stations. But, you know, when you're going that fast and you're, you want to have your own nutrition. <laughs> you don't want to rely on what might be there and, <laughs> what the water might be like because we've run into that before where the water wasn't good and well yeah because water in different places tastes differently based on whether it's hard or soft or right. what the mixture is they use to uh, yeah that can cause clean some it issues stuff. so yeah so we had everything mixed up in jugs you know of water that we had bought from here <laughs> well yeah anytime you buy bottled water anytime you buy distilled water you're probably going to be better off yeah because especially yeah. if you like go to a place that's like high in sulfur and the yeah. water kind of has a funky taste to it, yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. We went to one race and they both had stomach issues and had to drop out. And we figured it was from the water because that was the only thing that they had the same. Yeah. We had mixed up their tailwind, whatever, at the hotel. And it was like, whoop, learned a lesson, never do that again. <laughs> so they had to have an SO. Then uh, Station 3 and 5 were the same location. Station 4 was down the road a little bit. Station 1 was like way out, Eight Station 1. So I was driving around trying to catch them all. The slower guy did have a cell phone. So when I couldn't see him, when I was like, okay, I can't wait for you. You're too far behind. The other guy, I'm leaving you a bag. 
<laughs> with your stuff in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so that's how, you know, tell the aid station people, I'll be back in a little while. <laughs> so anyway, so it was, it was pretty interesting. It was really good. The 50K guy was real, real pleased. Um, he's got a, a hurt knee right now. So for him to finish was good. You know, I'm, I made him have a cell phone because I'm like, okay, you're going to have to call me if you got to drop out at an aid station so I can come get you. <laughs> and then uh, the other guy, he just was cruising. I mean, yeah. he did awesome. Until he got, once it got dark, he had problems. But that was only the last section. Okay. Um, he came in in the dark to aid station five. And then, well, aid station four, I saw him, and that's where I gave him the headlight. And he had nine miles to go. So I saw him at aid station five. He had done six miles, and then he had three miles to the finish. And he got lost in that three miles. I mean, you can see his times just go straight down. And I've got video of him crossing the finish line. He's from India, and he's like, Linda, next time you have to run with me. And I'm like, okay. And when it gets dark, you have to be with me. And I can't keep up with you, and I get lost in the dark too, but whatever, I'll tell you I will because <laughs> you just ran 62 miles. <laughs> Funniest thing, this lady, her son was four years old, and he was trying to give him a medal. He about tripped him. I mean, this little kid around this yeah. tall dude that's right. just, uh, I'm like, somebody grabbed the child <laughs> before they both get smushed. I was like, oh, my God. Who thought that was a good idea? Oh, it looks cute. Yeah. It's a kid. Yeah. Well, like, money stepped on his foot, and he lost his croc, and he was like, I lost my shoe. You know. Like somebody moved a kid. It was cute, but it was also kind of hazardous. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> anyway, so it was a good weekend, though. I mean, it was a lot of fun to crew for them. I'm so glad I don't run those crazy things. Hell no. No, it's too long. It's the training for it's too long. Everything about it's too long. Everything is long. A lot of people just thrive on it. Absolutely. People love it. I get it, man. It's just not for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll coach you to it, but I'm not going to do it. The guy that won the 50k is from bulgaria i think <laughs> when he initially called the race director he used google translate and the race director thought it was like a scam call because the english was so bad right <laughs> and he so he called other race directors and was like is this guy legit and they're like oh yeah he's legit but he gets lost so just be warned so the woman the second place person was a woman and i saw it at the aid stations he would leave and she would be coming up behind him, and she'd you know just take a moment at the aid station. I mean, she's second overall. He would wait for her at the corners and point, and she would point and tell him what they were not together. Right. He probably could have gone a whole lot faster, but he didn't he, want to get lost. He didn't want to get lost, so, so he, he just was followed waiting the, on her. He just stayed with the second place person <laughs> and made sure he was in front of that second place person so he'd win. Exactly. Brilliant. Exactly. Yep. Otherwise, he was going to get lost. Yeah. He was like coming into an aid station going, Coke, Coke, Coke. That was like the only thing he could say. He wanted, you know, he wanted Coke. But Money, my guy who was doing the 100K, he was the third or fourth person into all those aid stations. Everybody else was doing the 50K, and he yeah. was doing the 100K. He was 38 minutes in front of the second place person for the 100K. Pretty impressive. Yeah, that's a pretty good lead. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, how many people do those races? How many people were in the 100K race? Like 10? <laughs> um, I know it's more than that. At but... the start line, I'm going to guess there was about 60. 60, yeah. It's Last 60. year, it was one of the first races 
that was come out, you know, from COVID. And it was hard to tell because they staggered them. Um, and they had pretty hard cutoffs too. You know, if you weren't at certain aid stations by a certain, the 50K, they weren't so. Well, no, because they're going to be out there for the length of the 100K, so they don't care. Right. <laughs> But if they didn't have lights, that was a problem. The reason yes. why the cutoff was the way it was is because you got to get done before it got dark. Right. But if somebody wanted to continue on and they had lights, they were letting them go. Um, the hundred k, I can't remember what the cutoff was that for that one was. The I know the hundred mile was thirty two hours. Yeah. And that was you know the cutoff for that one. Oh my god, those volunteers. Some of them were out there the entire time. Yeah, it was crazy. I don't. I don't know how you get volunteers for races like that. They needed more. Last year they had well, a Well, I mean, I imagine because some of the problems is like, how do you get people to the aid stations? <laughs> well, uh, the only aid station that we couldn't get to was that was that number two one. And and that was just because it was on property, private property. Right. But, you know, the race director could get there and make sure that, you know, I mean, there were people that could restock it. But well, just, yeah. it wasn't manned. Last year. So how do year, you, like, you know, you're going to have to, like, book, you know, get people in and out of that that's going to take a long time probably some of those spots well the rest of them were all on roads no okay. i didn't have a problem i mean it was right at, there was like a i'd love to bring a mountain bike out there oh my god it was gorgeous actually cross bike would be even better because they're next time three and five and four were only a couple miles by road yeah you know by running it was a little bit further um just the way they looped it around and i was like i need to bring a bike next time and then I could go back and forth, you know, go three, go back to four, go back to five. Okay, good. Get some riding in yeah. at the same time. Have a backpack. Enjoy it a little bit more than sitting in a car. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's the problem with, like, trying to help somebody. That it ends up being a really long day, probably a longer day for you than it is for them. <laughs> in some ways, yeah. It's like, okay. I did pretty well, though, keeping track of, I was like, okay, you know. What yeah, my time, wife just stopped doing see? it. <laughs> She wised up eventually. <laughs> For me, I mean, this, you know, I was going to a beautiful spot in South Carolina. I was there last year. I mean, we stayed in an Airbnb that was gorgeous. Yeah. You know, the guys are like, yeah, you take the master suite upstairs, the jacuzzi tub. I'm like, sweet, I got it. And I have to pay for a thing, you know, and I just help them out. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. I mean, there was a lady, uh, the three and five aid station. Her husband was running his first hundred. She's like, I'm going to be here anyway. I might as well volunteer. Doug volunteered after he was done with his 50K. He's getting a free entry for next year for the 100 miler because he volunteered. So it's like, okay, that's one way to get volunteers. Right. It's a big way to get volunteers. That's what a friend of mine does. You volunteer, you get a free race. Okay. How much is it to enter the race? Hmm. Depends on the race. This race for the 100 miler, I want to say it's like 200 bucks. 200 bucks or all day sitting in the middle of nowhere waiting for people I to know come it's through. not for you but you know you got to do the math calculations on these too though I'm going <laughs> to be the there anyway you know if I'm going to be crewing for somebody yeah. I mean I helped out at one of the aid stations people come I mean, cuz these guys are coming through and they're like I can't open this like hand it here you know I got it they had all kinds of stuff I mean normal race you know you got Gatorade you I don't know, whatever, you know, goose or whatever. These guys have got trail mix and they've got cheese and meat sticks. And later on when it got dark, they had pizza and potato soup. And, you know, I ate like garbage. I ate like a runner for <laughs> for a day. I was like, oh. But not was, without running. That's without not a running, that was not so good. <laughs> 
<laughs> wasn't so good for me. It was great for them. That's that's a, that's, that's, that's a combination of failure right there, <laughs> long like, term. Yeah, like I said, next time I need to bring the bike. <laughs> Figure <laughs> out a way that I can at least move around a little more, you know. That's what I do. That's what I used to do on Ironman races. I would, when I was there, I would, you know, watch them come in for whatever. I think I'd, after a while, I was like, I'm not going there for the swim. That's just too long of a day. I think I went for the swim once. Usually, I would be like, yeah. come back for them when they got in from the swim. Maybe go out on the bike, cheer for them, mm-hmm. and then I'd go out and bike for two or three hours, come back, <laughs> wait for them to come back in, and then, yeah. and then cheer for them, and then follow them on the run, which takes follow somebody for four hours. Usually, I have a couple athletes, so you'd kind of go between them, but kinda, still, it's. Yeah. A, that's just a long day. It made it interesting for that I had two athletes and that these stops were, I think the largest break that I had was maybe an hour and a half. So it really wasn't too, too bad. And, and, and he was right on target. I mean, I knew every time I was like, okay, he should be pulling in here in a couple of minutes. Boom, there he was. Yeah. It did work out. It worked out pretty well. I didn't have, I had some waiting around. Yeah, you talk to people. You're at the aid station anyway, so. Yeah. yeah they're bored. Fire pits everywhere. It's like camping. <laughs> Without camping. It pro- at least it wasn't super cold. No. No, and it didn't rain. That was huge. If it had been raining, oh my God. There were two nice water weekend. crossings, though. Like, well, there were, in the first couple miles, there was a huge creek that they had to go through, and there was no rocks or anything. I mean, you were going to get wet. So I did have to change a pair of socks because there was no way money was going to be able to lean over and change the socks that was kind of gross yeah <laughs> no. yeah he's still like i can't believe you did that i'm like well you couldn't do it and you were going to i mean your feet were going to be destroyed <laughs> if they didn't get changed so you know preschool teacher i've dealt with dis- more disgusting stuff and fair enough he'll pay me back anyway so that was my weekend how was soccer it was uh it was a soccer field we had game saturday like around 11 against the javanon team out of louisville one of the better teams in the okay. league roasted us oh we didn't play very well in that game they still beat us like eight and up mm. they were just they were organized they were good and they took advantage of the mistakes we were making in a mm. way that was kind of eviscerating <laughs> sorry it's, it's what it is uh, yeah. i mean you, you gotta learn, learn. I think the kids learned quite a bit from that game. What the other team was able to do to them, they 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 kind of like okay, this is what marking means. I see it now because mm-hmm. they just absolutely scored an easy goal. I need to be on him, so I, yeah. I, I kind of understand my role a little better because this was one of those teams that was very well organized and could get it to their players. Ah, uh, gotcha. It was interesting to watch. Then hmm. we went down to Bowling Green that night, which was a couple hour drive. We. So we came back home, chilled for a little bit, and then went down to Bowling Green. Alex got to swim in a pool, which is really the, the, the important thing from the weekend. <laughs> Your child in pools. <laughs> and hotel rooms, yeah. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, we, we went to, we ended up, we were going to go to the, the steak place next door to us for dinner, but that was like a 45-minute wait. Oh, my God. And it was already. We could not find anywhere to eat on Sunday that was not an hour wait. It was yeah. ridiculous. We ended up at a. Uh, chicken place that was op- about to open up for lunch but at 11 o'clock we hadn't had breakfast yeah like oh my god anyway sorry well yeah it was well alex wanted to swim when we got there it was only like five o'clock mm-hmm. like 4 30 their local time which was really like 5 30 our time because they're in central right he wanted to swim so then it became kind of 6 30 7 30 their time Ooh. when we went out which is prime time for prime them time, yeah but it's like 8 30 for <laughs> me so i'm kind of hungry now and we're like you go to the we go to the steak places like walk next door and it was like 
a 45 minute wait and i'm like man you know you get 45 minute wait plus time you get your food oh my god another 20 30 minutes before you got food in yeah. a, a place like that you know you're looking at another hour or so before we got food Oof. and then we got to get to bed at some point too because we do have a soccer game the next morning at 9 a.m right but we had daylight saving time which was gave you that extra hour of sleep which helped right. out in this process we ended up going to like steak and shake <laughs> We end up driving around and it's nothing. Because it's this battle of trying to find something Alex will eat. Yeah, well. Yeah. Steak and Shake. He'd never been to Steak and Shake, so oh. he seemed to like it. We have one here, you know. Yeah. Hey, we have another place that Alex will go. That's awesome. I don't know if want to go there, but he enjoyed but it. He didn't, what, I he said didn't will. hate it. <laughs> anyway, all right. So and we had The next day we had a game. We played a team that was not as good as our team, and we okay. were able to defeat them easily like three or four to one something like that okay and then we had like a two or three hour break between games well we come back to the hotel before we checked out because we still had like an hour and of course he wanted to go swim again so he had got to go get that like get 20 minutes of swimming in <laughs> and it was like his teammates were going to lunch at like chewy's which was like this mexican restaurant which is just not a very good mexican restaurant and we went there for lunch and then went over to the game and played a team that was much better than us, but also very physical in a way that was unnecessary. I mean, they would, every time they came up, they put some body part into you every time they wow. came around. I mean, it was bad because I mean, I remember the one play I said to Alex and this other kid were kind of working it. The, the, the one of their, I guess, better players was fast. He was trying to get down there and get, a, yeah. get in a goal and it went over the end line and then he just put his elbow right into Alex's ribs, man. I was like, after the play, after the ball had gone out, I mean, you're like, wow, okay. Wow. And it was just all of that. It was always they were pushing and shoving. They got a couple fouls called. It was just, you know, that's I, I, that's a coaching thing. I, I yeah. still believe that's a coaching thing. Well, They're, yeah. That's a team that has a lot of foreigns in it that okay. are here because, like, the Bowling Green has it's such an industrial place. They have a number of okay. foreign countries yeah. there, like some Eastern Europe and stuff. And I, I think it might just be cultural that that's kind of how they play over there. I don't know, but it was... But that's up to the coach to stop that. That was one of the rougher teams we played. And then, like, you know, one kid scores a goal. He comes out and he slides on his legs, like, a, in the on the field, you know, on his knees, like yeah, like he's a professional soccer right. player. And stuff. And it's like 10th. That, that's uncalled for, man, yeah. just in general. I mean, that's just poor, that's poor sportsmanship. Yeah. And probably should have been carded for that. Yeah. But I, I don't know if the ref saw him or what. And it's just, it's like, it's stuff like that. It's like, okay, because... If that had been me and a kid did something like that, I would he would have been coming out of the field and he would right. never have seen playing time for at least a while. Yeah. But the parents were cheering for it and you know, and it's like, okay, so this is just a cultural thing here with this team. Right. Yeah, you know, and, and then you talk to I talk to the parents' mom and it's like, Yeah, this is a team that will go to tournaments and intentionally play down because they want to win, not because they want to play like competition that's equal to them yeah. and might challenge. They don't them, want to see how good they are. They yeah. just want to be good. They just want to have the victories. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay. So it's just, it's that culture of when is the only thing that's important. Yeah. And that's just. Oh, that's sad. And it was bad. I mean, because. sad for the kids. The, the sad part was, is without that, they would have beaten us handily. Mm-hmm. All they did was just end up hurting some kids on our team. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, yeah. that's the only thing they gained from it. Was it was completely unnecessary. Yeah. And then our kids started kind of pushing back a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. At some point, what's going to happen with that team is some kid is going to retaliate, and some kid on their team is going to get like badly hurt. Yeah, who's good on their team? He's going to get rolled up on or something like that. Yeah, 
team up, gets gang up. You know, realistically, it's you know you, you don't want to see kids get hurt, but I mean that's it's going to be you know you got to expect it at some point. At some point, some kids, some big kids, going to retaliate, right? And, and and hurt somebody. Yeah, they're not always going to get to uh, play down. Right. At some point, they're going to find a team that's. Or you just find some kid that you pushed the yeah. wrong way, and he, yeah, you know, he does something dumb and mm-hmm. comes in from behind and just takes you out, and all of a sudden you got a blown knee or something like that because yeah, because you you, were know, in you, you, you invite that stuff on you. Yeah. I, I, that's what I don't understand about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they didn't get anybody hurt because they were doing all the pushing and really weren't fighting. But at some point, you're going to run into a team that's yeah, it's going to fight back. It's going to fight back, and yeah. then you're going to get hurt. And I, I just, I don't understand it. No, I don't understand teaching kids that. Yeah, because again, beginning. I don't think that's natural for kids. No, I mean, not. It's natural for them to be oblivious and push and whatever, and not realize. I'm like, just like laid somebody out. You know, I mean, I see it all the time with kids when they're playing, but to elbow you know another player after the ball is out i mean that i mean and just because they did that i mean like one you know they they would come in with their elbows up high like one kid got just tagged in the face with an elbow from the other team and it was like that only happens because your elbows are high why are your elbows high high. in a sport like soccer yeah you know i mean that's one of those things where you're like hmm it's We've played a couple physical teams this year, but nothing, nothing like that. I mean, yeah. nothing even close to that. Nothing that has been had been trained, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's that's a, that's that behavior has been encouraged by that coach. Yeah, they probably do it in practice a lot. That's why I'm sorry. It's yeah. just, that was okay. that was everything that's wrong with youth athletics. Mm-hmm. What I've been happy about so far is that's not the norm. In yeah. select soccer, Thank at least God. in the levels where you can see some coaches play to win, but it's not like we're going to bully you to try to win. It's more yeah. of their strategy is such that they're going to do X, Y, and Z to kind of hide their players and not necessarily develop the team. Mm-hmm. Or some teams are trying to develop the, all their players yeah. and stuff. It's just it's just some different strategies and stuff. You haven't we haven't seen the win at all cost mm-hmm. mentality too much in select soccer so far. That was the first time I'd seen it. Well, what's funny too, it's like, okay, so if you're going to be aggressive and you're going to take out players or whatever, you're going to make it so that they don't want to play, who are you going to play against? Well, that was what I was like. Can can we just forfeit against them in the future and just refuse to play? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, if they (laughs) just forfeit. Yeah, I mean, you're probably going to lose anyway. I mean, that's a good team. I mean, they were a good team. So just forfeit rather than put your players at risk. Yeah. Just forfeit it. Yeah. I mean, and then nobody, you know, they don't get to play either. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of They're my doing it to process. themselves, yeah. <laughs> Cause and effect in kind of a weird way, I mean, but I, yeah. I don't know if that would ever happen, but I mean, unfortunately, because you know, the, the co- our coach is like, well, that's just the way it is sometimes, which yeah. is kind of like, okay, but. Yeah, but how many kids are going to get hurt because that's the way it is, and it's not the way it should be. No. So how do you change it? Yeah, you know, it's, don't, it's play. Whole, don't play. Don't play that battle. game. Yeah, that was kind of my thought. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Just forfeit to them each year, uh, and, and wow. that's your protest. Yeah, until they Not clean even other put ways. Up with it. Yep. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about. Well, you were talking about that, what, that book you were talent reading. code last time. Talent code, yes. Yeah, we were talking about you know developing skills, and that whenever someone moves, you have the electrical timing of your nerve system, and then myelin, you know, oh, that's right. wraps yeah, that. Yeah, we're talking about yeah. myelin, and it wraps that. 
and it wraps these nerves, which increases your signal strength and increases the speed and accuracy of those signals so that you get right. precise moments. So the more you do a particular motion or fire a specific skill, you're ingraining that skill mm -hmm. over and over again. And that's kind of where like that 10,000 hours of practice leads right. to whatever, being a master at some skill, yeah. right? It's, it's that same type of thing of you got to do a, a practice thing over and over perfect. again. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing this guy started talking about is how you go about learning to some people learn, have better learning skills and therefore develop myelin faster. They talk about what he calls deep learning. Okay. And that was three rules for it. Rule, the first rule was you chunk it up. So okay. that is like, okay, I'm, I'm studying this whole fluid motion or whatever I'm trying to do, whether it's playing the piano, I'm swimming, I'm playing soccer. It doesn't really matter the skill. I, I take a look at the hoe, the hole, and then I try to subdivide the skill. Like in swimming is a perfect example. If I'm looking at the swim stroke, I can watch a swim stroke, but then I can kind of chunk it up. I got the front end, I got the catch, I got the pull, I got the recovery. And so I can then take my skill and break it down into smaller portions and then work on each individual piece one at a time, right. smaller, and play with like how fast I do it. So you would start with doing it real slow. You might try to speed it up. So you really begin to feel whatever that one thing is you're trying to do because that's really okay. what it's kind of all about. And then you kind of build upon that and, and start putting more and more pieces together until you can do the whole chunk. And that's how you you practice something. And you're always trying to take yourself to the limit of what you're capable of to mm -hmm. try to, you know, it's like if you were trying to like, say, learn ice skating, you know, it's first you start off, you fall. And then as you get better, you begin to be able to stand on, on ice skates. Shuffle. And shuffle. <laughs> and then eventually you get to go faster. And like now I need to be able to turn. So the first couple times you turn, you fall. But you keep pushing that or turn. Or the wall. Or run deep flat into the wall, yeah. Or, you know, you keep pushing that turn more and more until you get the turn. And you're always pushing until you can get a little bit better. Now, all of a sudden, you can do more on the ice. Right. That's kind of the concept of, with all sports is you're, you're trying to push the boundary of what you're capable of doing mm -hmm. so that you can expand that circuit out and, and stabilize it more, right? Yeah. That's really what you were talking about is stabilizing sense. it and giving it more different inputs to fine tune that circuit so that when okay. I build the myelin around it, I can deal with the variations of, of what's going on. And so how you would do that depends on the skill, like a skill like a musical instrument's a good one, a good example of something you can really chunk down because you have individual notes. Mm -hmm. I can play a note. If I get it wrong, I can play it again. Mm -hmm. I can play a couple notes together. If I get it wrong, I can try that again. And I can build my song up that way. Very, A skill that's very susceptible to a really small chunk to bigger chunks mm -hmm. in, in learning, where a sport like soccer is completely different because of all the variations that go into passing and receiving and things of that nature, you're better off just playing a lot and getting those touches through the game and just maybe game, having yeah. like small field games where you get more touches. That's how you begin to learn a sport like soccer rather than just sitting there and passing it back and forth because it's not because the game is so dynamic and the right. you can't really replicate that in a static type 
here's how you kick the ball type environment. Right. You can do for like the basics of like, you know, like well, you I'm thinking the same it. thing like with swimming. It's like, okay, well, how do you break down the little pieces? You've, you've got to, you've got to keep on stroking. Right. Uh, Without so, drowning. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I can begin to chunk on the side while I'm sitting there playing. Okay. This is where my extension should be. This is what the catch should kind of look like. I can do that on dry land and start chunking True. out the okay. different pieces of it and, and, and starting to work with it. In swimming, your chunk is probably one length. Of the pool, mm-hmm. right? Because you, it's hard to swim one stroke and stop without, right. especially once you start getting to the deeper end, you, you drown, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not going to work very well. And there's but, so many parts because you've got to kick and you've got to, you know, you've got to, yeah, you've got to keep floating. you got to keep doing all those pieces. So your, your chunk might be a 25 and you might focus on one of those five or six elements for that 25. Mm-hmm. And if you get it right, you keep repeating it each 25 until you get that down then you move to the next part of the stroke and do 25s trying to you know get that catch get the pull focus on those elements over mm-hmm. and over and over again in small enough chunks until you feel like you've got that skill developed and then as you begin to master all of them then you may want to put it like I'm going to put it all together for 25 mm-hmm. I got it for 25 can I do it for 50 mm-hmm. can I, if I do it for 50 can I do it for 100 once yeah. I get to 100, can I do it for 200? Because if, you, if you've done this and, and, you, and you practice in trying to hold it together, you can begin to feel when it doesn't feel right. Because that's the whole point of this, right? And I'm trying to feel what each thing feels like, what each stage of a swim stroke feels like, mm-hmm. so that when I'm doing it wrong, it feels wrong. It feels wrong. And I stop. So the question becomes, can I put it together for longer and longer distances? And that's how you get faster. That's how you put it all together. Mm-hmm. You have to approach your swimming with that type of deep focus on what I'm doing. And this is something that I think a lot of swimmers don't do, to be honest. I mean, that's because that's not something like even a master's program where I can kind of work with you on on elements of your stroke. But unless you're going to sit there and and really work on that technique, Mm -hmm. you don't. Most people go to the pool and they swim their, I got to get my 2,000, 3,000 yards in. And that's the goal of practice, not to become better with my technique in the process of swimming yeah because there, this is one of the problems you run into in most of your endurance sports it's about the fitness and not necessarily about the technique mm-hmm. when the technique is just as important if not more important than the fitness right. because fitness tends to plateau after a couple of years anyway your, your gains there are minimal yeah. where your technique gains can be a lot greater yeah well techniques yeah is how how are you going to make gains Right, and so you know it becomes this battle of how the people who practice better get better faster because they hone their circuits quicker mm-hmm. than people who don't. Because mm-hmm. if I'm just out there swimming and I'm not really focused on it, I'm going to develop some bad habits potentially that are going to become ingrained. Yeah, this is one of those problems I always had with like the hour swim. Is I'd be working on technique and then I'd find myself in an hour swim and I would revert back to things I would I was doing before. I was working on the technique because you were doing it for so long. Yeah. Those old habits, those old pathways reemerge in that situation. Mm-hmm. You you don't your new pathways aren't developed enough to maintain it yeah. for that hour swim. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And that's kind of this is kind of like he had like two or three elements in in this book and mm-hmm. you know for this now what was he addressing specifically? Was he addressing sports or He was addressing talent. Okay. So he's like why is this kid talented? Okay. What, you know, because he was like looking at like hotbeds of like, you, you'll find like a city that might have four or five really talented kids in one area. 
Mm-hmm. Why does that happen? And his thing is, well, it's not genetics, it's something else because it's it's this skill acquisition. You know, I mean, he, he downplays the whole genetics thing a little too much, in my opinion, because, yes, I can become really good in something, but if I don't have certain genetic makeup... Yeah. We were talking about basketball Yeah, I was talking about basketball. If I'm 5'3", and that's my height, I don't care how good I am. Yeah. If I'm not, if I can't dunk the ball and get way up high, I'm never going to get a shot off of the sixth dude. who's. I'm not going to be able to guard him because he's just going to dunk on me. Might be a really good jockey, but yeah. Yeah, that that dude's going to just dunk on me. Yeah. I might have the best shot. I might be really skilled at the game and be very talented at the game and maybe have some talent that no one else in the world has. I'm still not going to play professional basketball. Yeah. (laughs) Because I don't have that genetic makeup. Right. Yeah. So genetic makeup plays part of it. I mean, the book goes into some other areas. We can cover that next week. Yeah. I think this is probably good enough. This edition of our podcast, just you know, to get people thinking about that. Of, you know, if if I want to be talented in something, I've got to be able to chunk it up. I got to be able to break it down, mm-hmm. and 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 do and work on each element and do it at different speeds. You know, if I'm like practicing the catch, I'm like, okay, I, I, this is what it kind of feels like. But what does it feel like when I do it a little faster or a little bit faster? Mm-hmm. What, you know, what does it feel like if I go too fast? What's it feel like? Mm-hmm. And those are things I can practice out of the water to some extent, and some things I can practice in water. I'm just sitting on the side of the pool, yeah. or I, when I'm swimming, I can do different speeds. How do things feel? And mm-hmm. really kind of just pay attention to all these elements of the stroke one at a time, and try to and, and just play with it and try to figure out what what works and what mm-hmm. doesn't i mean that's a lot of the when we talk about the feel of the water i mean that's a lot of like what, what are the different things how does that f- interaction feel with your hand mm-hmm. you got to play with things you can't it's not i can't yeah. say hey this is what it is yeah you got to understand it and that comes from working with it and playing with it and paying attention to it and all those mm-hmm. things interesting all righty well, we'll get back to that again next week Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a coach, check us out at go3sport.com, and we'll talk to you next week.